Coming to you directly from the heart of New York City, all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwell Report. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. You know, we live our lives trying to make it better every day, but what happens when the clock of life stops ticking? What happens when we go to heaven? What does it look like? What does it feel like? In fact, what does hell look like? Well, our next guest is a bit of a divine detective because he's a pastor who's come out with a New York Times bestseller called Imagine Heaven. His book is based on research of experiences shared by thousands of near-death survivors who've claimed to have been to heaven and who are willing to share with us what heaven looks like, feels like, and much more. So without further ado, our guest is Pastor John Burke from the Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. Welcome, Pastor John. Thanks, Vip. I appreciate it. Well, imagine heaven. Congratulations on it being a bestseller, number one on Amazon, number nine in the New York Times bestseller list, number nine on the Wall Street Journal, and number nine on the Publishers Weekly list. Number nine. It's the it's the number. So you a multimillionaire now? No. <laughs> Every pastor's got a Rolls Royce. You got one? Oh my gosh! Uh, I, I have a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, does its popularity reflect people's desire to know about the afterlife? Yeah, I think there's a huge hunger. I mean, let's be honest. Mm. There's one thing we all have in common, well, maybe two, Mm. uh, taxes and death, you know. (laughs) Those are, they're guaranteed, right? And um, I think everybody at some point, Mm. you know, scratches their head and goes, yeah, what is it all about? I mean, what's what's the point of life uh, if... It, it ends, and then and then what? And that really is where my journey with all of this began. Well, let's start at the beginning of the journey. What was your purpose of writing the book? I mean, did you know it was going to be a bestseller? Was it a lucrative money-making thing? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, it's actually my, my fourth book, and it, it actually um, started mm. uh, back in 1980 when my father was dying of cancer. And um, I really, uh, I really had no faith at all uh, in anything except the next party. Mm. And uh, uh, someone gave him the first book on uh, near-death experiences. In fact, the one that coined the term. And I saw it on his nightstand. I picked it up, and I read it cover to cover that night. And I remember sitting there thinking, "Oh my gosh! If if this is true, this is the most important thing to find out about." And that actually set me on a journey. I, I actually became an engineer after that, but used my, you know, kind of analytical mind to, to explore and eventually led me down the path of, uh, of, of going into full-time ministry and going to seminary. But at the same time, over, over the last 30 years, I've read and studied about a thousand accounts mm. of people who have died and been resuscitated and claim that they've experienced something beyond this world. And so in Imagine Heaven, I am bringing together the commonalities I see across these stories um, and, and across ages, across cultures, and weaving it together with what, uh, what I've seen over the years studying the Bible and what it says, and showing how really the, the, they align, how the expectations are, are aligning. So this book actually took, I mean, 35 years in the making because you said that you got interested in it from 1980. Yeah, it's been a while. It took me a while. <laughs> you know, in your research, what were the common factors that you found people shared? Yeah, I talk about, um, I talk about 12 commonalities, but mm. 
a few of them, like um, when people die, uh, what they say initially is they, they don't even realize they're dead. Um, it's kind of shocking, and many of them are in the, the room and kind of at a, at a place above looking down on their lifeless body, but they still have a body. We're still alive. In fact, one of the things they say is they felt more alive than they had ever been before. And, and some of them describe it different ways. Some say, you know, not just with like five senses. You know, you wonder, well, can you still feel things and smell and hear and see? They say not just five senses, but it's more like 50 senses. It's like a sensory explosion. And so people aren't even, they, they don't even grasp it that is this death because they truly have come alive. And they have a, a body, not unlike what we have, arms, le- legs, head. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the scriptures actually talk about, about that. And I show how, you know, that is an expectation that, that we should have. Um, you know. many, many people talk about um, beauty. Right. They see beauty not unlike the earth, mountains and, and, and forests and trees and flowers and mm-hmm. streams. But they talk about experiencing this in in new dimensions of, of time and of space. And so they're, they're describing something that's not unlike Earth, but what they commonly say is they, they, they come back and realize that Earth is actually the shadow of the real life to come. Where, where we always think, you know, I think one of the problems and one of the reasons I wrote this book is that when we think about heaven or what's to come, we think of it as shadowy and ethereal and cloudy and boring and, you know, kind of twiddling your thumbs going, what am I going to do forever? Right? Yeah, right. And, and you know and what? I think that, yeah, it's what, it's why people fear it so much. Well, you know, you were skeptical once, and, and I read the book, and I, and I enjoyed it, but I'm, you'll have to forgive me if I'm going to be just a little skeptical. I mean, it's, you know, Go for it. it's going to be more out of, I guess, uh, sincere curiosity as opposed to whole skepticism. Yeah. But, you know, when people say that they felt more alive, but when you're at that moment where you're bordering death and life, all your problems pale into significance, right? Well, I've never personally been there, but I would I would guess it's a pretty... Um, if you, you imagine know, all your problems just moment. lifted away, you are going to feel more alive, because at that point it doesn't matter whether you've got to pay your mortgage or your taxes, you, you're right. done for. Yeah. So I always feel when these people are at that level, and they always talk about being feeling more alive, is it a case of that all their problems have been lifted off their shoulders? Well, they talk about, they, they do talk about how, um, though there is a, still a knowledge and an understanding mm. of their life on earth, it's just entering in, into an existence that they say, this is, this is the existence I was created for. Well, let, you know, in your research, we, we covered the common factors. Were there one or two uncommon factors that were sort of quite startling to you? Um, yeah, we haven't even started to cover the common factors. But, mm. but uncommon factors, well, I mean, so in some degrees, it's unique to every person because every person is unique. Right. And so that was, that was a part of why I decided to do such extensive research, is trying to understand the difference in the uniquenesses and what were the commonalities. And, and I think because we are all unique people, there, there are uniquenesses. And, it, I mean, it's kind of like, let's, let's just imagine if we all went to New York City, right, mm-hmm. and, and, and popped into New York City for five minutes mm-hmm. and then told you what New York City's like. Right. <laughs> well, some people are going to pop into the subway 
and they're going to have one experience and they're going to come out and see this, you know, big city. Others are going to end up in Central Park and they're going to talk about, you know, the beauty of nature. Mm. And, and, and so I think you have to see all of them together to start to see how it pieces together into really a whole landscape. And that's what I'm trying to do in Imagine Heaven is show this landscape and, and how it actually does align with what we would expect. But what were the, uh, uh, give me one or two uncommon factors that were startling for you. Uncommon, uncommon factors. Well, um, I'm, I'm trying to think because each, each person, mm. so some people would, uh, would say, um, that they were, for instance, in just a black void. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, they, they felt an incredible peace. In other cases, it led toward more of a, of a terror. Ah, they're on their and, way to hell then. Well, you know. Uh, I'm going to cover that later yeah. on in the show. But is your concept, your research of, of heaven, was it for Christians only? No. In fact, um, what I'm trying to show th throughout the book is that, for instance, um, another commonality is mm. people experience this person of brilliant light. And, and this, is, this is true um, uh, across the globe. Uh, and, and, and consistently, they, they say things like, um, well, let, let me read you a couple of, of quotes, can mm. I? Absolutely. Um, so this is a woman in Singapore. And, and she says, someone spoke to me for a while. I heard that voice that came from the light. You know what I felt when I saw that light? When I saw that bright light, I felt like someone loves me very much. No idea who it was. I was very overwhelmed by that bright light. The light welcoming me very warmly and loves me very much. My words to the light before I woke up was, I wanted to stay here, but I love my two kids. Mm -hmm. And she asked a question, was that like God? Because she, she felt like this, this must be God. Um, Ian from uh, New Zealand says, uh, it looked unspeakably bright, as if it was the center of the universe, the source of all light and power, more brilliant than the sun, more radiant than a diamond, mm. yet you could look right into it. The light gave off an amazing warmth and comfort, and the light wasn't just material in nature, it was a living light that transmitted an emotion that filled me with a sense of love and acceptance of total and complete peace. Uh, Sama in the Middle East, who uh, was, was a, a Christian who was actually um, in a church that, that got bombed, and everyone, everyone around her died except she came back. Mm -hmm. um, she says, it was as if Jesus were a brilliant diamond, his beauty dazzling and excellent and radiating holiness and splendor that totally captivated me. All of my affection and attention focused on him. Everything else in heaven was like precious stones, but their glory fading in beauty beside this beautiful diamond that reflected light from every angle. So essentially, heaven is for Christians. No. Well, Muslims get 12 virgins. We only get bright light. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and what, what I'm trying to show in the book is that mm -hmm. what's consistent is that God is the God of all people, and he loves all people and that he wants all people to know him. He's done, I believe he's done what he's done through Jesus so that all people could know him and so that we're not afraid. So they're not, we're not afraid. He doesn't want us to be afraid in this life, and he doesn't want us to be afraid. So of if a Muslim dies, he still goes to Jesus? Well, I, 
I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Mm. I do know that um, when when people have these near-death experiences and they encounter who they experience to be God, they're they're describing pretty much the same being. Now, I, I don't know that these experiences tell us what is ultimate. Right. Because another commonality uh, that I write about in Imagine Heaven is that they, they all talk about a boundary or a border or a threshold. They describe it different ways. But aren't there three heavens described in the Bible? Um, because no, I, I did some research. Yeah, I think that's I, – well, I think that's referring to, you know, back, back then they, they talked about the, the first, second, and third heaven. The first, the first heaven being the atmosphere, the second heaven being the, the stars. The that's third, right. The third heaven being – you know, paradise or what we're talking about here. So is a near-death experience the first stage in heaven? Because the white could be the sky, and, and you said people see mountains and birds and things like that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, but I think, you know, from, from that three-tiered view, I think that the first heaven we would call the atmosphere, um, what they used to call the first heaven, we would just call it our atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Second heaven, we would call the the galaxy, you know, or our solar system. Hmm. And so, when they talk about the third heaven, that's really what we mean when we talk about heaven—a a world that's beyond our dimensionality. But let's and that's talk. A, that's the thing that I think uh, is is really important to think about. You know, science today is pointing us toward hmm. other dimensions. Uh, you know, the 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 Kalam. Uh, Kaluza theory in, in physics, mm-hmm. you know, is trying to find a unified field theory, but they, they postulate a fifth dimension uh, in, in order to, to reconcile uh, electromagnetism and the, and the gravitational field. Oh, you're losing me with all the science. But you know what? I want to ask you some very personal questions. Okay. In, in, in heaven. Um, will, if I die, will I be myself? Yeah, I think that is absolutely what people consistently say, mm. is that, that in fact, you've never been so much yourself. <laughs> well, that means you know, there's the, going to be a lot of a good time in, in heaven then. Yeah. A lot of I parties. Mean, well, it, it Happy is hour every hour. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is yeah. that if Jesus is right, it, it is. It's, gonna be, it's going to be life and life overflowing. What do, I, what do I do in heaven? Well, think about what we do in life. You know, we, we have... Oh, so I'll have my radio show <laughs> well, coming to you direct from heaven, not New be. York City. No, well, there is work, right? There, there's work. Oh, there is. There are things to do. And, and, um, and for whatever reason, God chooses to use us and our, the gifts he's given us in our free will. And, and, you know, he gives us a hammer and we can use a hammer in our free will to build a house for people in poverty, or we can use a hammer to bash someone on the head. So we have a free will here. And, and I think, uh, you know, all the things that we, we see, we see work, but there's frustration in our work. We see love and goodness and beauty, but, but we also see how it can be used in, in very destructive ways. You're, I, you're saying in destructive ways even in heaven? No, I, oh. think this, I think this earth is a squeezed-down experience of what we were created for. Hmm. In other words, 
there is there is there are dimensionalities of time and space that we were created for that we are eternal creatures in fact mm-hmm. and that we're going through the birth canal called uh, earth this this short amount of time and space where we get a taste of heaven and we get a taste of hell and but a very a very squeezed down taste so are we are we when we go to heaven are we interacting with each other yeah that is a that is one of the commonalities that people talk about how they they recognize we recognize one another mm. um we 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 see relatives and and friends and we know each other and we have there's there's a consistency from our memories of of earth so we've got though, to we've got to deal with your haters and my haters there as well <laughs> well you know uh no i don't think so <laughs> i think i think it's where the 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 struggles of this life finally resolve and i and i think that is what earth is about um it's it's about realizing that when we try to live to play god you know mm-hmm. meaning my will be done on earth and heaven and and when that's my focus and i just try i'm trying to get my will done and i'm trying to get you and everybody else to live according to my will that in fact causes all our problems so and if so i heaven, if i if i'm trying to gather what you're trying to say is is like heaven is one big yard where each of us are in our own bubble of goodness no i think it's a community i i well if my haters aren't there then they don't get to go to heaven well uh so so you know that gets into a a a deep theological conversation mm. but i think it's an important one and and that is you know if if heaven is on the merit of our goodness or our badness mm-hmm. who can claim they are good because i sure can't i mean i make mistakes we all make mistakes we've got our haters but we've done our hating mm. um and and we all have our reasons to justify it um and and i think what i think b- both what these near death experiences are pointing to is a god who does not stand ready to condemn but instead to to forgive and in fact he's made a way for that he wants us with him but here's the other thing you know they consistently say that love is what it's all about You know, we didn't talk about the life review. We should talk about that at some point. The what um, view, sorry? The life review. Go ahead. Well, it's one of the commonalities that in the presence of this 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 god of light mm. who is love unconditionally, who is warmth and welcomes them, but knows them personally. And they say things like and he's a fun person to be with. They never want to leave his side. That's consistent. Mm-hmm. And in his presence, they re-experience their entire lives up until that up until that point. And the kinds of things they 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 say about it, you know, are um uh well, let me let me uh let me see if I can read you a couple of them. Uh so this one lady said I was in a a dark black vacuum going at super speed. I saw a bright light and heard beautiful music and colors I'd never seen before. Mm. From the moment the light spoke to me, I felt really good, secure and loved. The love which came from it was just unimaginable, indescribable. I never wanted to leave the presence of this being. My whole life so far appeared before me like a kind of panoramic, three-dimensional review. And each event seemed to be accompanied by an awareness of good and evil or by an insight into its cause and effect. Mm. 
throughout I not only saw everything from my own point of view, and this is common, but I also knew the thoughts of everybody who had been involved in these events as if their thoughts were lodged inside me. It meant that I not only saw what I had done or thought, but even how this had affected others. And throughout the review, it stressed the importance of love. And none of this ever gave you a reason to believe that this is all hogwash. Well, yeah, it took me a long time. Hmm. I mean, I, I, yeah, uh, for, I mean, 30 years. <laughs> so, I, you know, I didn't write the book 30 years ago. Um, it, it has taken me a long time, and that's why I, I studied a thousand of them, because I was trying to understand, well, what, what is this, and what is common, and what is not? Because the other thing is, there, there are commonalities, but it doesn't mean everybody interprets their experience the same. People come back and they interpret it, you know, many times in, in, in light of their own worldview, whatever mm. that might be. But there are these commonalities. And, you know, and, and one thing that people do experience commonly is they relive their lives and they realize that love is what's most important to God. And that, and that he shows us how our, our, our little acts of kindness that nobody else saw, um, those, those little acts of love that... You know, you think, well, that didn't do me any good. Hmm. But they are the things that actually have the greatest ripple effect throughout humanity. And we get to see that. Um, and, and they experience that. And, th- and that, by the way, is the thing that tends to be the most um, life-changing for people. Even though their cardiac arrest might have only happened for, you know, a few minutes, right. uh, they can talk about this life review like for weeks, like it had, they had relived everything. But don't doctors contest this, that anyone going into a subconscious state or a temporary state of total relaxation will experience this so-called white light yeah. or that they're just having a dream? Yes. And, um, and in, in Chapter 2 of Imagine Heaven, I go into skeptical doctors mm. and the afterlife. And, and, um, and in the appendix, I talk about all the, all the theories and I give a, you know, an appendum for anyone who wants to go hunt down, you know, all the other theories of it's a hallucination or it's the last kind of sputter of a dying brain trying to, trying to grasp life and all that. Mm-hmm. One of the main things I point out in, in the chapter Skeptical Doctors in the Afterlife is that what convinced many skeptical cardiologists and oncologists were the actual patients they were resuscitating and what those patients were able to describe claiming that they had been out of their bodies but still in the room. And so what, what they described actually had some way of verification, corroborative evidence. And, and by the way, uh, there have been about 900 articles now written on this in, in scholarly journals like the Journal of the American Medical Association and The Lancet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, there was, a, there was a one written up in The Lancet um, about – uh, a guy who comes into the hospital after a massive cardiac arrest. He's unconscious. They, they take him, uh, you know, do, do the shock and all that. But before they notice, he has upper dentures. So they take his dentures out. Um, they get his heart beating, but he stays in a coma. They move him to another room. Uh, and a week later, when he resuscitated, he could, talk, he could tell them who was in the room resuscitating him, the, the people present, and he told him them his lost dentures could be found in the crash cart drawer. He described the nurse that put them there and where they were. And these kinds of things are, are reported again and again. Mm-hmm. 
Dr. Uh, Sabum, who's a cardiologist that I spoke with, talked about how you know he didn't believe in any of this stuff when uh, when they started talking about near death experiences until he started asking some of his patients. And, and then they started to be able to describe the resuscitation techniques used, so much so he said he, he, he could probably tape them and use their description to teach his medical students. Well, let me ask you this. Everyone who's had a near-death experience that I've heard of or read about always talks about the bright white light and things like that. Mm-hmm. Has anyone ever had a near-death experience with hell? Yes. And I, um, I write a, a chapter in Imagine Heaven called What About Hellish Experiences? Mm. And, um, you know, ev- so, so here's something you need to understand is that people are very hesitant to come forward talking about even the good experiences. Mm. Um, I, I'm shocked because, you know, we did a series for the first time uh, six weeks ago here at our church as I talked about these things, and I brought in... Um, I brought in a spine surgeon and a college professor and a former TWA airline captain uh, and a pastor, people who had had these experiences, and I interviewed them. And suddenly all these people come up to me and said, I had that happen to me. I've only told one person. And the reason they're hesitant to tell people is because we look at them and go, yeah, whatever, you're whacked. <laughs> you're crazy. You know? and, and, we, and we just write it off. And it's so personal, and it's so vivid to them. That's the other thing. But what do they, they say about it, though? About the experience? Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, this whole thing about the um, near-death experience with heaven, I've heard a lot about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's even been shown in movies and things like that. Right. Uh, so you know it's the white light and blah, blah, blah. But I don't hear much about the hell bit. No. So tell me about the hell we, it's bit. It's inconvenient, and we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so like I was saying, most people don't want to talk about it, and yet of those who do, 23% mm. report um, hellish or troubling experiences. So can um, they give I, some details? Yeah, I talk about uh, in, in the book Dr. Maurice Rawlings, um, was a cardiologist who didn't believe in God or the afterlife when a 40-year-old man came into his office and during a stress test had a massive cardiac arrest. Three nurses rushed in. They started doing CPR, but he was trying to put in a pacemaker, and he said that each time um, he, would, he would stop doing compression and reach for his instrument, the man would flatline. And then when he would bring him back, he would scream out, I'm in hell, and he was, he was terrified. And, uh, and Maurice Rawlings, Dr. Rawlings, says, uh, I, I was scared to death. In fact, this episode literally scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and he said, after several resuscitations, the man pleaded, don't you understand? I'm in hell. Each time you quit, I go back. Don't let me go back to hell. And uh, Rawlings said, I dismissed his complaint and told him to keep his hell to himself until I finished getting his pacemaker in. So he, he goes through this, and then he said, but it was so shocking to him, that afterwards he went, uh, after the man recovered uh, a few days later, he went and he asked him, explain to me this, this health experience you saw. And the patient couldn't recall any of the unpleasant events. And, and Rawlings ended up doing more research and wrote a book called Beyond Death's Door. And in it he says apparently these experiences were so frightening, mm-hmm. uh, they were suppressed far into the subconscious. 
So he, he posits that. Now, nevertheless, about 23% have had more hellish experiences, and they, and they do remember it. And, um, and, it's, and, I, and I write about some of them, and it's not pleasant. And what it, what it actually reminds you of is the worst of human life. You know? So can you give me a visual? That's what I'm trying to get at. Well, um, so I interviewed this college professor mm. who um, he was uh, a tenured professor at the University of North Kentucky, uh, chairman of the department, and he was an atheist. And he was in Paris taking students on a tour of museums when the lower uh, his lower stomach ruptured. And um, doctors told him he afterwards that usually you have about five hours well he went to it was the weekend and he goes to the hospital and there were no doc there were no surgeons on call and nine hours later he passed and initially he felt great you know heightened senses more alive than than ever before um common is you know a, a welcoming committee people that are are there to to kind of welcome you and they seem friendly and and they started to call to him come on let's let's go we're waiting for you we're going to make you better and he didn't even he 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 wasn't computing that he was dead and so he starts to go with them mm. and i write about what he says uh you know and i i'm i'm quoting these people in imagine heaven because i want people to see what they say not what i say and he talks about how um basically they lure him kind of like you know, kind of like uh, drug dealers or a gang would lure you with with promises, but then it in, ends up in this outer darkness, and it's like it's like a gang fight for his life, and and that's just one example. But he also talks about, and I and I share other examples that it's complex. It's not just like one thing or one place. That the world to come is far more complex uh, than 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 our tiny imagination. But, but that's not really disturbing, is it? I mean, he's going in and he's being sort of swept aside and, and lured in. It's, it's more like an alleyway mugging. Uh, yeah, and, and when he talked about it, I interviewed him personally, mm. and I have it on video, and he had to stop. He said, I have spent most of my life trying to suppress those thoughts. I can't go any farther, because when he talked about what they did to him, mm-hmm. He, it brought him to tears. And this, this tenured college professor who was an atheist, uh, how do you explain that after this near-death experience, he ends up leaving his tenured position to become a pastor for one-tenth his salary. His wife, who is an atheist, leaves him. His children kind of disown him. Mm-hmm. like he lost everything. So no and atheists yet, in heaven, then? Um. No. They're all converted. Well, you know, here, here's the thing, and this is, this is what I talk about, is what makes sense of all of the pain and the suffering of this life? You know, that's the big question, isn't it? How in the world could, uh, could this loving God, who apparently loves us more than, than anything, and mm-hmm. love is the, the universal principle we all know is most important, how could a loving God allow so much pain and suffering and the horrible evils we do to one another? And I believe the only answer that makes sense is that he created us in love and for love, and that's what he, that's what he wants. 
but love requires free will. So, so that God has removed every barrier between humanity and himself uh, except one, our free will. So he claims he's, he's paid for the price through Jesus to forgive anybody of anything. But if we, if we demand that we run our lives and play God and we don't need God, then what's, what's he going to do? Force us to live under his rule? Force us to live in heaven against our free will? Well, that would be hell. What do, you, what do you do with a Hitler if he doesn't want God to be God? He wants to be God, and he wants to say who lives and who dies. And so that's the one thing that God basically limits himself under is allowing creatures to actually have free will so we can choose whether we will love God and let him teach us to love one another, or we play God and we try to get people to do our will. So I think that is the... I think that is the message for all peoples in all cultures, is that God, you know, God views us all the same. He created us all to be his children. He created us in his image with intrinsic worth and value to be loved and valued. And that's where we find our, our rooting of love and value. Well, you know, I, I see a point of view, but... In certain cases in life, like we've had the recent bombings in Paris and then certain tragedies and things yeah. like that, um, sometimes beyond the control of man, in, in those sort of cases, do you think our, our whole approach to religion needs to have some sort of a mind shift in that we are more able to accept God if we can forgive God? Forgive God, what do you mean? You see so much poverty if yeah. a certain member in your family has cancer. That's not the will of anybody. That yeah. just happens. Yeah. Uh, if there's a, a plane crash due to mechanical failure, that just happens. Right. Um, even insurance companies refuse to take the blame for certain acts where they call act of God in their policy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. So on these acts of God, do we need to forgive God? Well... I think they're I think they're a warning. Uh, you know, stop and stop and think about it. You know, there's something wrong mm -hmm. with this life. Otherwise, we wouldn't complain about suffering and pain. Like, well, it's always been. So why are we complaining? That's like that's evolution. We shouldn't we shouldn't be complaining. We no, just, you're yeah, right. Yeah. You're right. But if you actually think about it, I mean, the whole concept of you know. Uh, God is everything and things like that, uh, which is all very well. But when certain things like this happen, uh, the cancer or the plane crash or whatever, and, 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 and yeah. you, no, totally one, would, one would be more able to embrace and accept God rather than question God if you forgave God too. Well, I think I think what you're getting at, I think there's, there's some truth to it. And well, let me tell you my own story, you mm. know, when... Um, my dad died of cancer when I was young. And I remember up in my room after the funeral, mm. and I thought to myself, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I thought, screw you, God. I'm not, you know, I'm done with you. If this is the way you treat me, you know, because I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that he would be healed, and he wasn't healed. And I was looking at a fork in the road, and I was seriously just going to go my own way. The only thing is, I'd already been down that road. <laughs> mm. 
and and what I and, and what I knew enough of was that, well, if there is not a God of love and there is not some way of of making sense of all this in the end, then the whole thing is purposeless. My dad's death is purposeless. There's there's no resolve, and 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 so yes, in some ways I had to say, okay, you know, well, I'm going to trust, and and I guess in in essence there is a I don't think it's forgiveness in the sense that I don't theor- theologically I don't think God can do wrong, um, but I think from our perspective mm-hmm. we we surely think that. But well, you know, I mean, you said you had a fork in the road. Well, what if you sort of built a third path where you actually said, you know what, God, I forgive you. It's my loss, your gain. And if you'd made the assumption that God is not perfect, if He gives us free will, then He's to a certain extent lost control. For the, the for the amount of free will that he gives us, right? Well, and and yeah, so I I do I do believe that mm. because God is love and created us for love, that he is actually being merciful in in giving us chance after chance after chance to learn what life apart from but God don't, is but don't but don't you think. Don't you think you should be merciful so that you give God a chance again to pray to him and, and to love him back, even well, though that, your father went away? Yeah, that, and that was, that was the choice I made. But I've met so many mm. people who, at the same fork in the road, um, you know, the, their choice was, well, forget you, God. I mean, you know, if you're going to treat me this way. Uh, you know what's interesting, though, because I write a chapter called No More crying, mourning, or pain mm. uh, in Imagine Heaven. And, um, and, I, and I tell several stories of people who went through just horrific lives. Um, this one woman, Crystal, uh, you know, she had been molested over and over again as a child. Uh, her, her stepdad um, shot a shotgun at, toward her, threatening her when she was little. I mean, just, and it just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And, and she said... Um, uh, and and she believed in God, but she also struggled and kind of you know went her own way many times because of it. And and she said, you know, uh, I had so many questions for God. If I ever meet him, you know, I'd say I'm going to ask him how could he let someone molest me when I was a child? How could he allow brutality against children or the suffering of starving people or cruelty toward the weak? Hmm. And then she talks about how you know when when she was in the hospital. And, and she passed away, and she experienced the presence of God. She said, but in heaven, all those questions immediately evaporated. In his presence, I absolutely understood that in every way God's plan is perfect, sheer, utter perfection. And she do, said, does that mean I can now explain um, how cruelty toward a well, child fits it, into God's plan? No, no. she can't. But no. indirectly, she's forgiven God. Yeah. She's extended well, mercy, I guess, in saying, you know what? Uh, you can't control the will of the molester, and it. I, I've gotten over it now, and 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 we move forward. Yeah, there is a letting go and a, and an acceptance and a trust. Um, it's Pastors a, always freak out when I say, "Do we have to forgive God?" Well, <laughs> I I think there's a philosophical problem with phrasing it that way. Well, um, you are on Fox News Radio. What? <laughs> well, you are on Fox News Radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's philosophical because um, 
I mean, if we're talking about the Creator, mm. then how? I mean, how do we sit in judgment of the Creator as the creature? It's it's a conundrum, really. Actually, we're not laying any judgment. We're actually trying to make our bond better. Yeah, of trying to understand. Yeah, because and, by and extending I, mercy, by extending forgiveness, you actually then let it go and, and leave an unanswered question unanswered and just move forward. So you're actually strengthening your relationship with God. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, though I know, I, know, I know pastors theologically would differ with the forgive God idea. I oh, think hell yes. Talking about. <laughs> but I think what you're talking about is right. Um, I think it is uh, that that there is a there is a letting go of me and my will being done, mm-hmm. and the realization that that we do live in a world that where horrible things happen, and if I'm going to hold it against God, then what I'm setting myself up to be is God. Then I have to be in control. Then I have to figure everything out. Mm-hmm. I have to rule the universe. And that and that and that is the problem. I mean, gosh, look at look at the the recovery movement, right? The recovery movement is based on the realization that uh, I can't control everything. I'm not God, and there's got to be a higher power who can help me, you know, because because we all get stuck. Right. Now, in your book, what do you think? What difference does your book make to anyone? Well, I'll tell you, Vip, I mean, uh, the reason I wrote Imagine Heaven mm. is because people need hope. They need hope. And well, I actually, think, put, if, if I was to be devil's advocate here, yeah, um, you're actually making us lack the fear of death. Um, and, you know, st- we, there's always going to be some stupid person in society who, who is going to be, you know what, I'm so excited, I want to go to heaven, let me do it now. Well, I talk about that as well, mm. and and how um, suicides can t- consistently say that was a bad idea. <laughs> well, how would you know that if it's an effective suicide? Well, if it's effective, you wouldn't. But right. I'm talking about those who came back, came back, mm. and and because what they realized is that God really does have a purpose and a plan, and 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 what happens is when we yeah, you know, again, we we lose perspective, and you know, I mean, it's a hard life, and so it's it's easy to lose perspective. But the reason I wrote Imagine Heaven was so that we could see that there is hope and there is reason and purpose, you know, beyond just the the, the ups and the downs of this life. There there is reason and purpose for those little acts of kindness and love that nobody else sees because God says He does see, and it really does matter that we really do have a, a reason and purpose and we're unique. We shouldn't be comparing ourselves to one another because we're all unique. Um, and we all have a part to play in, in what God wants to do in, in this world and through this world. How do you find, how do you explain to your flock what they are meant to do? Because, you know, a lot of pastors, they give a nice, very nice sort of a verbiage about it. But, you know, I guess people are trying to find real practical answers to what their purpose is, to what they're meant to be doing. It's very easy to say, oh, you know, you shouldn't compare each other, blah, blah, blah. But then you can't have progress in civilization if 
you don't compete. Yeah, and there, I mean, so so there is there is competition, there is business, mm. there is you know there's planning. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. You can do all that, right? And you can do that for different motives, right? Of course. I mean, no. I mean, let's know, assume the motives are clean and good. Yeah, but the motives matter, and this is part of what. I, I want people to see, hopefully, through... Because if you think about it, God is always competing with Satan, right? No. Don't do this, do this. That is wrong, this is right. Don't yeah, love no. Satan, love me. Yeah, but but he created, he created the angels just like he created humans. Mm. Um, so in essence, it's not like a, an equal battle. Ultimately, God wins. Um, but... Yes, there are, you know, there there is free will, and so we can make choices. And I think, you know, when you talk about purpose, I think one of the things that that we where we do get it wrong mm. is we keep thinking that I'm supposed to do great things. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong with wanting to do great things. That's so true in today's world. Yeah, everyone tells us we should be doing great things. Everybody wants to save the world, but mm. nobody wants to love their neighbors. And this is one of the things that, that Jesus said, you know, and, and Moses as well, that to love God first and then to love our neighbor as much as we do ourselves sums up all the commands of the Bible. And what I think, I, you know, what I started to see doing this research, and, and really it just makes sense of what Jesus taught all along, is that God doesn't need us to go change the world, because if we will do what he said, if we will love God and love our neighbors around us, mm. he will change the world. But we're all so busy trying to prove to the world that we're important or valuable or worth loving that we don't do the simple thing that we really can do well, um, trying to do the, the big thing that only God can do. Now, I don't think that means, you know, stop uh, running your company uh, because there are lots of people that you are blessing by running your company. Well, in all right? of this, you know, in, in, in all of this, when it comes down to real life, it's just about using common sense, right? Well, yeah. and I and mean, doing the right thing, using your conscience, you, you, using your morals is doing the right thing. Yeah, God has, God has put a moral sense in us. A, and right, a, and he's a given us a brain. Yeah, yeah. But I do think, you know, I do think we all have a unique purpose. And I, you know, not everybody's going to be wealthy. Not everybody's going to be powerful. Not everybody's going to be famous. I've, I've, I've traveled to 20 countries. I've, I've, I've been all around the world and, and seen extreme poverty. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the American mindset that, that greatness comes from what we oftentimes celebrate, I mean, just think about how ridiculous that is for well over half the globe who live on less than $2 a day. Right. It's never going to happen for them. Right. So when we, when we stop and think about it, well, that can't really be the organizing principle of life. So what is? And I think what Imagine Heaven points us back to, mm -hmm. what these people experience in their life review and in the presence of God, is, is that you know, God has created us all unique. We all have our own paths but that to, to love God and to love the people around us is first, and then to use the gifts and the abilities he's given us to be a blessing. You know, it's not just to bless us, but to be a blessing to the world 
around us in how you work and how you deal with your co-labors and how you create a product that serves humanity. All those things and the thoughts and the, and the motives we have, God sees and he cares and he wants to reward people for that. Well, Pastor John, we've almost come to the end of the show. Where can we get the book? Um, it, it should be at most all, uh, uh, most all outlets, mm-hmm. you know, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. Uh, uh, you can also check out ImagineHeaven.net. Uh, website where we've got some stories and uh, other interviews I've done. Thank you so much, Pastor John. Stay blessed. Thank you, Vip. I really appreciate you having me on today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for listening. Your comments and your followers are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswell Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Until then, I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.